When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a 415 You're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415 hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into another edition of the 415ers podcast. As always, on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game, coming at you twice a week in the offseason. It's Evan Giddings. It's Mark Grandy. Mark, my man, how are you? I'm doing well. I have another fun weekend. First weekend of uh, March Madness. Just a lot of sitting on my couch watching uh, watching some basketball. I know you had an eventful weekend. You were down in Arizona getting some March Madness in. Also getting, of course, a lot of baseball in. Uh, I'm doing well. How are you doing? You, you recovered from your weekend away yet? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Got over a sunburn, uh, got up, got <laughs> over a couple of backdoor covers most recently from uh, uh, TCU for those, uh, of, those of you who are also on the uh, Gonzaga four and a half. I feel you. That was a meaningless three that sunk about $50. Hopefully not more for those of you out there that were uh, also engaged in some degenerate play but uh mark outside of that yeah and i did enjoy some sunshine got a little bit of pool in uh got four games in over four days including got to see uh the usa and uh the wbc get a win over columbia so that was a lot of fun as well but uh phoenix not so sure if it's one of my favorite places to be i had a chance to see the arizona cardinals facility just from the outside over in glendale That place is a little bit too spread out for me, to be honest. Like, I understand why people love it because of the weather and because of perhaps some of that space. But being from the Bay, uh, especially over here in San Francisco, where we live now, everything is walkable. Everything is mobile. Everything is accessible via public transit. And uh, that is absolutely not the case in the the greater Phoenix area. So I'll give I'll give the the trip an A minus because of how far everything was. All right. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. You know, different strokes for different folks. I, I kind of like the, uh, the I don't know, there's pluses and minuses to both. I kind of like spread out big cities as well. I don't know. You can kind of get away a little bit easier from the hustle and bustle. Um, but it is nice to have everything within walking distance and not needing your car on a daily basis is, is very convenient. Oh, give me the hustle. Give me the bustle. <laughs> uh, give me all of it. Uh, but speaking of pluses, though, Mark, I did see that pro football focus. Oh gave the Niners, I believe it was a B plus for what they have done so far in free agency. Uh, And we're going to get into how the rest of the NFC has fared up, how the rest of the NFC West has fared so far in free agency. But to recap so far what the 49ers have done, uh, I believe the last time we spoke last Thursday, they had just inked Isaiah Oliver, a cornerback from Atlanta to a two-year deal. Um, But they also, of course, as we kind of mentioned, also were able to get Cleland Farrell, defensive end formerly from the Raiders for one year. Demetrius Flanagan Fowles, 
re-signed a one-year deal for the 49ers. Ross Dwelly and T.Y. McGill also re-signed with the 49ers, each of which on one-year deals. And then they also added uh, Miles Hartsfield, a defensive back formerly with Carolina. So he comes over with Steve Wilkes, the 49ers' new defensive coordinator, on a one-year deal. And then most recently, John Feliciano, formerly of the New York Giants, signs a one-year deal to kind of add some offensive line depth, specifically on the interior. Uh, he played mostly center last season for the Giants. So, you know, honestly, Mark, kind of like what we've talked about, not necessarily anything that jumps out at you um, the way that Javon Hargrave does, but a lot of low risk, high reward signings that potentially could benefit San Francisco. Yeah, focusing here on Feliciano for a moment. He's a 31-year-old offensive lineman originally drafted in the fourth round by the Raiders. Has bounced around a bit after a few years with the Raiders. He was uh, with the Buffalo Bills for a handful of seasons, then the New York Giants last year. That was his only year. And now he comes to the 49ers, and, and you said that he played mostly center last year, but he has played really everywhere except for right tackle in his career, mostly the three interior spots, so left guard, center, and right guard. And I don't expect him to be a starter. Um, he's likely going to be a depth piece um, that the Niners can kind of throw in and fill in almost anywhere on the offensive line. You remember at the left guard spot where uh, – actually, the right guard spot where Spencer Burford uh, was the starter, it was kind of split between him and Daniel Brunskill for most of the year. So maybe we have a similar by-committee approach at the right guard spot with Feliciano. But if there's an injury to any of the three interior guys, Evan, it will likely be Feliciano to step in and start there in their stead. So while it's not, you're right, not an, an incredibly sexy hire, an incredibly sexy signing, it's not a big name, it's not a lot of money, it's just one year, this is the kind of guy that they needed because what we talked about last episode where is a hole? The hole is depth on the offensive line right now. And while this is only one guy and there should be more reinforcements coming, this is one guy that can play a handful of positions on the offensive line. So he fills um, a bigger hole than maybe someone else could. So I like I like the signing. He is something that they needed. He can play multiple positions. I'm sure we will see him play and take snaps in multiple uh, positions in this 2020 uh, 20- excuse me, 2023 season, we'll see how well he does. Uh, But no doubt that this was something they needed to address and they've done it. Yeah, and one thing that I touched on off the top, which I think kind of follows the theme of all of these signings, is low risk and high reward because you're looking at a lot of one-year deals, Feliciano included, but also guys that have versatility. You mentioned Feliciano's ability to play everywhere, unfortunately, except for right tackle, uh, which is where they remain the most wide open right now on the offensive line, but looking at guys like Miles Hartsfeld has played in the nickel, has played on the outside, also has some experience at the safety position. You can say the same for Isaiah Oliver, who has signed to a two-year deal. Um, obviously, bringing back the depth of Dwelly, Flanagan, Fowles, um, as well as T.Y. McGill, you know, those are all guys obviously familiar with the system, but guys that also may be asked to have a little more of a role this year, but you're not necessarily needing those guys to step up into big spots. Whatever you get from him at this point is essentially gravy. Um, Same for a guy like Clellan Farrell, who 
kind of potentially could follow in the Arden Key model, who was a former Raider and then came in for San Francisco and was able to elevate his game and then, of course, make some money for himself and be a valuable piece on the defensive line. So what they've done so far, and I don't expect them to be done at this point in free agency, is that depth around positions that were already, I think, of strength. Um, they still need to add to the secondary. Obviously, they still need to add to the right tackle position. I think that they'll look for other of these low-risk, high-reward pieces. But so far, I like what they've done, and, and I agree with the grade so far that they've received from pro from pro uh, football focus, which is a B plus. Nothing extremely sexy outside of Hargrave, but everything kind of dinking and dunking, um, making sure that they are at least able to react to potential injuries, which, of course, we saw a lot of this year. Yeah, no, I think a B-plus grade is relatively fair. I mean, I don't know what your expectation was. I know we talked about it a little bit a couple of weeks ago, just before free agency opened. We were debating whether or not they were going to go out there and make the big splash, the Javon Hargrave signing. I think I even threw his name out there when talking about the most sought-after free agents. And if I was forced to, I don't know, to bet, to guess – what I thought they were going to do, I probably would have said, no, I don't think they're going to go out and hand over that much cash to just one guy when they're already relatively cash strapped, considering how their roster is set up. But there was a part of me, Evan, going back to the Christian McCaffrey deal midseason last year, there was a part of me thinking they have kind of changed their philosophy a little bit. They've proven that they are kind of in this win now mode. Um, so if you were to assume they were going to make a splash signing, regardless of who it was, this is kind of the mold you follow. You go out there and you give the big money to one guy. In this case, it's Javon Hargrave. And then you go and try to find values at your other areas of need. You pick and choose guys to bring back. You let certain guys walk away who are just too expensive for you now. Samson Ebukam comes to mind as a guy who's now too expensive. Charles Omenahu as well. But they bring back Kevin Givens. They bring back T.Y. McGill on the defensive line. They re-sign Demetrius Flanagan Fowles, who's been an ace on special teams for them. They bring back Ross Dwelly, who's now firmly in line for the tight end two spot as it currently stands. This is how they have to do it if, you know, they go down this road. And, of course, they have chosen this road with Javon Hargrave. So, you could maybe quibble that they should have split up money elsewhere and, and gotten better at a wider you know, number of positions. But if they were going to go down this road and give out a big contract to someone, this is how you do it because you don't have a ton of space to work with everywhere else. And, and to me, given they're, all, they're down this road, it does seem like they've done a, a, a decently good job at finding some I think diamonds in the rough is a little too complimentary and and we'll see when the season does begin, but it seems like they are putting a lot of effort into trying to find guys that once the season starts, once we get to week five or week six, we'll be looking back and describing some of these signings as good calls. They're getting good value on these, on these contracts. Time will tell, but it does seem like they're on the right track. I also think they've done an admirable job of reading the market because the one glaring area that they have not addressed yet is the right tackle position. But I think they've also seen how offensive linemen have justifiably gone out and got their money, but have been a little more overpaid this offseason than in previous ones. Of course, the big name for San Francisco is Mike McGlinchey. You got five for you know, five years, $87 million. But then 
you know, Chris Lindstrom with the Atlanta Falcons, who was an all pro this year, got five years, $105 million. Um, looking at Kayla McGeary, who was a name that I tossed out a few weeks ago as a potential signee, re-signed with Arizona three for 34. I don't think San Francisco wants to pay that kind of money for that position unless they know they're going to get a premium player. And right now, those premium players at that position, specifically at right tackle, are being a bit overpaid by the market. Those guys are getting their bread. That's what they're supposed to do. But I think San Francisco sort of saw, I don't want to say a market inefficiency, but saw where they could get a premium player like Javon Hargrave and then sprinkle in free agency with a lot of one-year, you know, low-cost, high-reward deals and try and sort of rework that way. I also think to your point about them getting aggressive and sort of this model of, you know, attempting to, I guess, cash in now and, and really maximize this window, would not be surprised to see the San Francisco 49ers, who have 11 picks in this upcoming draft, yeah. attempt to trade up for a right tackle of the future or a potential member of the secondary or even a defensive end because we know they like to carry 10 defensive linemen. I don't think it's out of the question for them to get aggressive again this year, even though they have you know a plethora of third rounders beyond. Uh, they don't have a first or second round pick. Wouldn't be surprised to see them try and move up to get perhaps one of those top three or top four right tackle prospects in this year's draft. Yeah, and you said... You know, the one spot they haven't really addressed yet is right tackle. They would probably argue they have. They re-signed Colton McKivitz, who it seems like is going to be the starter at right tackle. But, I mean, to your point, that's it, it, not... Right now, it's him and Jalen Moore. Yeah. And to your point, that's a move that doesn't, uh, I don't know, break many ways. Like, it, 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 it's not breaking news. You know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's not a name that you really think of as, oh, yeah, he's definitely a tackle, a starting tackle in the NFL. So... That could be a spot where they're still looking to improve at the very least. They need depth there. Whether or not they're still out there acquiring their starter is TBD. I would guess no, uh, but you're right. That is still a position that needs to be addressed at the very least on the depth side of things. And that's where the draft comes in because you're right. They, they do have a lot of picks. They don't have high quality picks, but they can afford to take a few shots on some guys um, because they have so many picks, and if you miss a fifth rounder, it's not the end of the world. So uh, I, I I think they're fairly well positioned to attack the rest of this offseason and, and figure out how they want to address some depth issues. Because I think for the most part, on both sides of the ball, you know there are some weak spots, but for the most part, I think they have their 22 starters on offense and defense. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. This is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network twice a week in the offseason, three times a week in season coming off our first year. So we appreciate you downloading, rating, subscribing. All five stars are appreciated. It's Evan Ginning. It's Mark Grandy with you as always. Okay, Mark. Well, you know, I mentioned the the grade that the 49ers got for so far, at least in free agency. It is at a B plus from Pro Football Focus. The rest of the NFC West, however, as maybe some have kind of paid attention to what's been going on specifically in Los Angeles, not as much in Arizona and Seattle has also made some under the radar moves as well. The Seahawks also received a B plus grade. The Arizona Cardinals and the Los Angeles Rams both received C minus grades. And I know that you were kind of keeping an eye on what the Rams are going to be doing. And you yourself have not been too high on the Rams, even in the middle of this season, sort of foresaw the, the downfall of Los Angeles, so to speak. Uh, but Mark, I'll, I'll just give you the floor. I mean, what have you seen from the rest of the NFC West when it comes to free agency? 
Um, honestly, the team that's probably had the the second best offseason so far, probably the Seahawks. Uh, I, I think the Niners have had the best offseason. They've certainly made the biggest move in at least the biggest plus move for this coming season in Javon Hargrave. Maybe the second biggest move that that, you know, surprised more people was the Rams trading Jalen Ramsey away um, an elite corner. Um, I know he's had his issues here and there, but a very good football player. And it, I mean, it seemed to me they're waving the white flag on the season already. I know they have a lot of talent and almost, you know, just being healthy kind of acts as some free agency additions. Um, you, they would assume that Matthew Stafford is going to be back, that Aaron Donald is going to be back and a, and a number of guys on their offensive line are going to be back and healthy and ready to play. So those kind of act like free agency additions, Evan. Um, but they're in such a terrible position financially, draft pick wise, that they felt, I think, forced into making that trade, trading away Jalen Ramsey, getting some young assets, getting some draft assets and getting some cap relief back in return. And it seems to me like they're on the opposite side of the 49ers right now. We just talked about how it feels like the 49ers are going all in, trying to win now. The Rams are on the downturn of that approach. They went all in. They got a Super Bowl, and now they're dealing with the repercussions of that. They have a ton of money tied up to old injured stars who they hope are healthy for this season, but not sure. And they have no draft picks to lean on. So what do you do? You try to ship out one of your more valuable pieces in Jalen Ramsey, hope you find a desperate team that really needs a corner, and you you hope you get a bunch of good draft picks that you hit on, and it turns into relief for your aging old team. Um, but it seems like in the short term, Evan, I don't know how you feel, but to me it feels like they're giving up on a chance at trying to win, at least you know, go deep in the playoffs. They could still be competitive, but it seems to me like they're okay uh, with not having much of a chance at trying to win a championship this season based on their moves in the offseason. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, and I think I'll take it a step further. Look, the Rams do not have a draft pick this year until the fifth round, <laughs> and that is completely their fault. But even with Aaron Donald, even with Matt Stafford, I think the Rams are setting up to go from feasting to famine and being okay with it. Like I think they are trying to... At least it looks like to me, I think they're trying to tank heading into next season <laughs> because when do the Rams start getting first round picks in 2024? Mm -hmm. They have all their picks coming in next year, all their picks in 2025, all their picks in 2026. So I think the Rams are trying to set up themselves to maybe be competitive, maybe fall into you know a nine win season, maybe sneak into the playoffs here and there, but they're trying to get ready so that when they have draft picks, I believe, that they can use them properly and perhaps even heading into next season. You know, if, if things don't go well, if Aaron Donald maybe tapers off a little bit, if all those injury ridden stars that they're paying big dollars to, like you mentioned, continue to, to get injured, uh, that they can set themselves up for immediate tank mode, kind of like they did this year. They don't get to reap the benefits yeah. of it this year, but ne starting next season, they will. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Les Snead along with Sean McVay uh, and the rest of those people down south in Los Angeles set themselves up that way. I, I think the Seattle Seahawks, like you mentioned, are interesting because they didn't really make any big signing outside of Geno Smith. I know they, they signed a couple of uh, defensive linemen 
who uh, Jermont Jones and Jerron Reed were the, kind of yep. the two signings there that they beefed up. And that'll help a team that really struggled at the defensive line last season. But like they let Rashad Penny go, they let Travis Homer go. Um, Pete Carroll seems to churn out running backs, and Kenneth Walker looks to be a guy that'll be there in the future. Uh, but I, I, I'm with you that the Rams, I don't know what they're doing, and maybe they're trying to get too smart. Uh, but Seattle would be the other team that I would say had a, a plus free agency. Yeah, so, I mean, they certainly didn't get worse. Uh, there was positive moves, but then, of course, as, as you mentioned, they they did lose out on a few guys. Um, I'm still a little worried. At least I would be worried if I'm a Seahawks fan about that offensive line. I know that they have a couple of youngsters uh, who, who played really well as rookies, and we talked about them all season long, or at least the weeks leading up to the Niners-Seahawks games, how impressive they are. Um, but they're still relatively young and inexperienced and – Overall, not great on the offensive line. We'll see how they address that. Um, and then, you know, the elephant in the room is the Arizona Cardinals offseason. And, and to, I mean, to me, that's just they're totally irrelevant at this point. They don't even deserve much of a mention because they're not going to have Kyler Murray this entire season. And even if they did, they, they're they not going to be very good. They are a dumpster fire. Uh, one of the worst run franchises over the last couple of years in the NFL. That's how how bad they have been um, for a team that looked like they had a really high ceiling just a couple of years ago. It, it has taken a gigantic downturn, uh, you know, in the front office all the way down onto the field. So certainly they're not in the running for, for best NFC West off season. It's certainly in my opinion, between the Niners and the Seahawks and because the Niners, um, you know, got the, the big splash in Javon Hargrave, they deserve that top spot to me, but I'm, I'm with you, the Seahawks. I'm interested in keeping an eye on them throughout the rest of the off season, because uh, they're a team who, as we talked about a lot last season, very young, but very talented. And they already overachieved. If those youngsters, Evan, continue to improve, how do they look? Can Geno Smith keep it up for another year? Can those rookies who, received you know first team or, or all rookie offensive ap rookie of the year and, and defensive rookie of the year votes those guys continue progressing you could be looking at a really really good team with a lot of their best players on rookie deals then what do they do alongside those guys i'm interested in seeing how that all works i don't think they're in the niners um, area just yet in terms of talent on the roster. Not many teams are, um, but I, I think they're the closest, at least in in being able to catch the 49ers in a couple of seasons. Yeah, and look, I think from, I think it was Caesars Sportsbook, the Niners are minus 170 to win the division. That uh, Those odds are honestly kind of low to me. Uh, I, I might just throw whatever money I would have lost on Gonzaga last weekend. Uh on the Niners to uh, win <laughs> the division. That's a wild number because you literally have no clue who the Niners quarterback is starting quarterback week one. And there's, I know. And I still feel confident yeah. that they're going to yeah. win the division. I'm with you. Yeah, no, it's, it, I mean, the numbers based completely on the roster. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's fascinating, honestly, because right now in the NFC West, Geno Smith is the best quarterback currently that is penciled in as a starter. And the 49ers still have, a far superior roster. I will say this for the Seahawks. I think it's interesting that Pete Carroll seems to, I, I don't know if it's just him like being able to kind of connect with, with younger players or get them to buy in more than sort of those older vets. But uh, there's, 
nowhere near as much talent as obviously the the early 2010 Seattle Seahawks teams that he had. But a common theme I feel like is that whenever he is able to get a, a core of young guys, and especially like a season like last year, I think played a big role in, in potentially what is to come. Uh, I I would be a little bit afraid of them. Um, I know the Niners handled them twice in the regular season, then of course once in the postseason last year. But to me, that's something that a Pete Carroll team would simply use as as fuel as opposed to just being the team to kind of get beat and then roll over uh, the ensuing year. So we'll see. And of course, the 49ers, even when the Seahawks have been bad, have struggled in Seattle. I mean, last year was the first time they beat him up in Seattle and it was like 11 tries or something like that. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to keep my eye on, on what they're doing. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, they have picks in this draft as well because they have the Broncos first round pick from the Russell Wilson trade. So they could very well be in the market to go out and get a young quarterback. They just re-signed Geno Smith. But if someone falls that they like, uh, they could be drafting their quarterback of the future. And if they hit on that, the entire feeling of this division changes. We probably won't see that quarterback if they do pick one this season. Because, you know, they are locked in with Geno Smith for at least another year or two, you would think. Uh, But they could start developing um, a young quarterback. And if they decide not to go quarterback, you know, there's a lot of really talented guys, of course, on both sides of the ball in the first round. And they hit on that. You know, this division could change a little bit. So, I mean, that move they made last offseason, trading away Russell Wilson and getting the boatload of picks they got back looks greater by the day. And and now it's up to them to take advantage of the first of those first round picks that they got back. And who knows, it it could be one of the main reasons why maybe they're able to be competitive with the 49ers in the coming years. Yeah. I think there's at the, especially the top of the draft, there's a lot of good defensive linemen. Wouldn't be surprised to see them go there. Um, Also, it's just so funny. Like you mentioned, it's all right. So, you trade away your starting quarterback. You get better at the quarterback position by far. <laughs> you re-sign said quarterback for 15 to $20 million less per year than what you were paying your previous veteran, now potentially wash quarterback. And on top of that, you get multiple first-round picks and a top-prime spot in this year's draft. So, yeah, uh, even though they got a B-plus in free agency so far, they got an A-plus for their offseason last year as far as I'm concerned. Uh, this is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. It's Evan Giddings. It's Mark Grandy. We're coming at you twice a week here in the offseason. Uh, make sure to keep an eye out for all the content we got coming your way. A lot of good stuff and, of course, a lot of draft potential covered coming up as we move closer towards that date this summer. Okay, Mark, so we talked about the NFC West, which, as we mentioned, outside of Seattle is just down in the dumps. Everyone's kind of shedding. Even Seattle really their biggest move was internal, keeping their quarterback. But as far as the rest of the NFC, because I think this is the big reason why people are so optimistic about San Francisco and their chance to at least get back to the NFC title game next year is because really the only team in front of last season, uh, Philadelphia revamped the way that the 49ers did. So right now, if you're looking at the NFC, to me, it's it's San Francisco, even without a quarterback. And then you're looking at the rest of the teams that try and climb up towards where the 49ers currently are. I wanted to talk about this because um, I have just like an off-season crush on what the Detroit Lions are doing. The Detroit Lions are having one hell of an off-season, Evan. And I am sc- they're going to win the NFC North, okay? I am putting that out there right now. You're listening to this Tuesday, 
March 21st, 2023. We will come back to this in December, Evan. The Detroit Lions will win the NFC North in 2023. Take a look at what they've done. And this is, of course, coming off of a fantastic season last year where they just barely missed the playoffs because something that, you know, at the last week of the season, the Seahawks won, they beat the Rams, the the, uh, Lions still then came out and beat the Packers on the road in Lambeau. They add C.J. Gardner-Johnson, great defensive back from the Philadelphia Eagles. They signed David Montgomery as the replacement for Jamal Williams, um, who who left to go to New Orleans. We talked about Emmanuel Mosley last week, the Niners corner, who we all thought was coming back off of an ACL tear. They signed him. They get Cameron Sutton, a veteran corner from the Steelers as well, and they brought back a couple of their own free agents. They had a fantastic – they are having a fantastic offseason, Evan – um, and I, for one, am convinced the Detroit Lions, they are firmly in the top five in the NFC. You cannot tell me otherwise. They might be the fourth. They might be the third best team in the NFC. They are going to be a problem. I am telling you this right now. The Lions, watch out. Look, I will say this. I was on the Lions bandwagon. I think it was about Thanksgiving of this past season. I just, I think they're an exciting team to watch. I think they're a lot of fun. They put up a lot of points. Their offense is fantastic. Uh, shout out to Amon Ron St. Brown, a part of this year's uh, fantasy championship squad. So <laughs> I, I do love them, but here's my thing, Mark. Number one, I cannot ignore, they are still the Detroit Lions. And even when this team has been set up as sexy as they have, maybe in the past, I don't know, 20 years, this is potentially the best roster they've ever had. They've still found ways to mess things up. And so that is something I'm keeping in the back of my mind. Number two, I know they added a decent amount of pieces, but what did they not address that really was their weakness last year? It was, it was their defense. Like they, they, they couldn't get stops when they needed to. They couldn't limit teams. I know they could blow the roof off of the scoreboard, but occasionally they would run into a 38-35 shootout and they might be on the opposite side of a potential W. That's my only concern with Detroit. I also think, I know you hate the Vikings, but I'm, I'm telling you, like, they're not as bad as, I know they're not as good as they were last year, but I don't know if there's enough regression and then, uh, I don't know if you want to say ascension, whatever, to the mean for me to feel comfortable with automatically penciling in the Detroit Lions as the NFC North winner. And then, of course, in the scope of the NFC, even if, yes, they are a top five team, which I am with you on, on the roster, winning the offseason does not guarantee you win the division, and it certainly does not mean I see them as a threat to the 49ers entering next season. I don't know if I go so far as saying a threat to the 49ers, but I think they did address the defense, specifically in the secondary. Uh, Safety Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, C.J. Gardner-Johnson from the Eagles, who was great this past year, Cam Sutton and Emmanuel Mosley as your two corners, I think the team is going to be much improved defensively. Aiden Hutchinson was really good off the edge as a rookie last year. He should continue to get better. We know about their offense. They didn't lose much there. Jamison Williams, the rookie wide receiver from Alabama, who played the last couple of weeks of the season, he likely, knock on wood if you're a Lions fan, will be fully healthy for the beginning of the season and ready to go. I really like them. 
I think the NFC North is a weak division as well. So winning that isn't as impressive as, say, winning the NFC East or winning the NFC West, potentially. The West is top-heavy with the 49ers, but maybe a, a higher high than the NFC North. Um, but I think they're they're going to host a playoff game because they win their division, and that is that is really impressive. The one other team who I think has had a really good offseason in the NFC, and this pains me to say it, it's the Dallas Cowboys. They've had a really good offseason, quietly. They franchise-tagged Tony Pollard. They are moving on from Ezekiel Elliott, which they should have done a couple of years ago, and quietly they acquired via trade, not even by free agent signing, but via trade, a couple of really quality veterans. Stephon Gilmore at a corner spot, who I know he's past his prime, but that's a former defensive player of the year. Also wide receiver Brandon Cooks, who for some reason he's bounced around a ton in his career, but wherever he's gone, he's been productive. You're telling me he can't be a solid number two or number three in that offense behind C.D. Lamb and company? I know they lost Dalton Schultz, their tight end, but the Cowboys have had a really good offseason as well, and that's a team who was already pretty good last year. Um, so they're probably safely there in, in the top three in the NFC. Um, I, I think for me, those are probably the top two offseasons in the NFC. The Niners aren't quite at that level, in my opinion. There's still a lot of time left, but for me, the, the Lions and the 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 Cowboys, top two offseasons in the NFC for me. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I can't argue against that. The team that I would throw into the mix, whether you whatever order you want to put it in, would be the New Orleans Saints uh, because they addressed their biggest need, which was the quarterback position. Yeah, true. You also mentioned the Detroit Lions, Jamal Williams. Well, he's now in uh, New Orleans, and we don't know what's going to happen with Alvin Kamara. He's got some off-the-field issues that certainly need to be addressed, but I feel like they have at least vamped the running back position enough to not get by or be a better team without him, but potentially um, have a backup plan if he's not available. They also added a couple of defensive line pieces that I think are better than potentially who they had last year. Um, able to re-sign Cam Jordan, tight end Juwan Johnson, go Ducks. So go Bears, you know, I, Cam Johnson too, huh? Cam, Cam Jordan, Cam, sorry, Cam Jordan. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> uh, by the way, you're you're. Your winner of the offseason is quarterback by Gordon Golden Bears. So uh shout out, shout out Cal here. We don't we don't got a lot of W's these days. But Mark, <laughs> and the other reason why I like the New Orleans Saints is because like if you're talking about a weak division, well, the NFC South is wide freaking open. Tom Brady yeah. leaves, and they barely won the division last year to begin with. So for me, that's a division that easily could have a team again, you know, with a near to even below sub five hundred record get into the playoffs and host a playoff game. I don't think Atlanta is, is going to get better unless they decide to, I don't know, go out and sign Lamar Jackson, who they're reportedly out on. Uh, I don't think that Tampa Bay right now is a team that I worry much about without their quarterback, and even so, I don't think their weaponry is going to have a signal caller good enough to get them the ball. Um, and, you know, the, the Saints right now are in a prime position, I think, to, to take that division. So for me, I guess if we're looking at the rest of the NFC, and this is kind of a look at how weak it is at this point for San Francisco, um, that is the offseason that I like the most because I think they addressed where they need to. Also, as far as the NFC North is concerned, it does appear like Aaron Rodgers is going to leave. Not that he was extremely good last year, but of course that does create more of an opportunity for your upstart Detroit Lions to get into the playoffs and win that division. So look, the rest of the NFC, I don't think stacked up necessarily well. Um, I think the Eagles took a lot of hits, including 
Gardner Johnson, he mentioned going to the Lions. I also think that playing on a defense as good as the Philadelphia Eagles were certainly helped him play as well as he did. And now playing with the Lions might get exposed a little bit. But the rest of the NFC, like I think the the 49ers certainly didn't get better in free agency with the amount of pieces they lost, but they held serve more than I would say any of the other teams outside of potentially the three that we just mentioned. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the Eagles because they did exactly the opposite of what you're saying. They they weren't able to hold serve, and it's nothing against them. It's really difficult when you have a team full of players like the Eagles on short-term contracts that play and have an incredible season, and that's what the Eagles did. But you look at the guys that they had you know, that, that became free agents. Of course, you know, Javon Hargrave, the newest 49ers defensive tackle. He was incredible. The Eagles did get James Bradbury back. It didn't look like they were going to, but they did. Their elite corner. Um, they did get back Jason Kelsey, their longtime center. Fletcher Cox, defensive tackle, who's been there basically his whole career. They got both of those guys back. They lose a couple of other offensive linemen, though, Dillard and Simalu. They they lose Miles Sanders, the running back who broke 1,000 yards for the first time in his career this past season. T.J. Edwards, their linebacker, is now a Chicago Bear. Another safety, Marcus Epps, is a Las Vegas Raider. We, we mentioned Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is now with the Detroit Lions. They lost a ton of talent this offseason, and I know we have talked about this. We talked about this right after the Super Bowl that this was coming for the Eagles. Now we'll see how they are able to bounce back. Do they have enough depth already? Are there guys that were in waiting last year that didn't get much playing time because of all this talent? We will see. But if you had to ask, Evan, which team in the NFC lost the most talent from last season to now, for me, it's no contest. It's the Philadelphia Eagles. It doesn't mean they're going to be bad. It doesn't mean they're going to not win that division. Jalen Hurts is a great quarterback and will probably be even better next year. But they lost a ton of talent. I, if The Niners maybe didn't get much better. Maybe they didn't get much worse. They stayed the same. But the gap, I think, however you want to think about it, maybe got closer between the Niners or the and the Eagles. Or maybe the Niners surpassed the Eagles with, with what's happened so far this offseason. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think the draft will play into this as well. We'll certainly keep an eye on who the Niners are monitoring. Of course, the positions of need we've already addressed and we'll continue to address this offseason as we continue on. This has been the 415ers podcast. We appreciate you tuning in as always twice a week here in the offseason. Mark Grandy and Evan Giddings with you on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time.